0: Welcome back to the channel, to the podcast. Hope you're listening to this episode, another player's series. Uh, I have Elijah Taylor with me this time. He's a former warrior, Paniff Panther, West Tiger, Stafford Red Devils and a current Featherstone Rovers. Elijah, thank you for joining us. I was late over there. Uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you, Murray. Thank you for having me. But, um, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to the podcast. I've seen it. it's a new podcast, seen the grow, man. I'm, I'm good to be on. I'm happy to be on.
0: Thanks for the, for the love. Really appreciate it. I want to jump straight into the junior footy career. We like to talk about the players uh, with this and help them sort of uh, relate to some of the youngsters coming through that listen to the podcast and then watch the channels and videos. What was your story growing up? I know you grew up in New Zealand, a rugby union mad country. Was it union at the start for you and and how was that transition to league?
1: Yes, I was all union growing up, coming through the grades uh, back in New Zealand, rugby mad country. As you said, we weren't allowed to play tackle until about 11 years old, I think. It was all touch rugby until then. And then we played, I played rugby union until I was 18 years old, um, 17, I played both. Uh, for St. Paul's College on Saturday morning, we played first 15 and Wednesday after school, we played rugby league first inning. So there were strong competitions in Auckland, but yeah, rugby league outside of Auckland is, is pretty small um, and most games are played on Sundays. So uh, I'm glad I went to St. Paul's College. It was one of the reasons why I went to St. Paul's College was to try and uh, make it to the Warriors through there.
0: How was that rule then growing up when, until like 11 years old, you can only play touch instead of tackle? I guess it would probably help skills develop in terms of the attack-wise. Obviously, defence would be a little bit in later on once you developed a tackling technique. Um, was that a, a different sort of experience for yourself to, to go through?
1: Yeah, it was, it was normal because that's all I knew. Uh,
0: yeah. But I, I remember
1: I used to be fuming because I wanted to play tackle but all my older brothers that were under 13 under 14 they could play tackle but oh, you had to wait until you are past a certain age limit uh, I look back now and I think oh that's the reason why they want people to stay in the game and use their skill instead of just you know physical which I think is smart and I, I think in New Zealand it helps younger you know smaller players uh, develop their skills without having to worry about the physical side or the physical element of you know um, rugby so I look back now and I, and I know reason why they do that so i'm not sure if they still do it today but um it wouldn't surprise me if they did but no bro i remember i used to get filthy because i wanted to play tackle and we weren't allowed to play tackle until we were 10 years old man and so uh but no they're
0: good memories man that's where it all started you'd have to keep tackle for you in the backyard until you're, you're 11 years old so uh at least you had some brothers and had to play with so that would have been great for you uh, for any yeah. young uh, Kiwis uh, players over in New Zealand, what's sort of your advice then to develop a league career um, over in New Zealand where it's obviously a lot of, basically union obsessed?
1: I think, um, to the players, just try and make your first 15 team at your school, because first 15 obviously huge there in uh, regular union. And then there'll be NRL sc- scouts that watch uh, first fifteen games, like every club's got a scout in New Zealand. Uh, every NRL club, but they look the next they're looking for the next talent. They're looking for obviously the next you know big thing. Um, so if you can get yourself in a first fifteen team um, of your school, uh, you'll you'll definitely be watched and you'll definitely be noted by NRL scouts because they watch every game. Um, if not, then I think the school you you have. They might be able to help you a manager. I'm not too sure how it works, but the network should be able to help you and um, landing you a, a trial at a league club or a pre-season trial contract at one of the league clubs um, because there's so many, obviously, NRLs growing and more and more Polynesian, New Zealand, Pacifica players are uh, being picked up and engaged. Um, so, the opportunities are there, you just got to put yourself in that position.
0: Yeah, just, just quickly on that, and I'll just step away from you, create One question that's quickly popped up in my mind is there's all this talk about the growth of the NRL and expanding. Uh, there's been talk about New Zealand with potentially a second team or else a full Polynesian team um, based around sort of the PNG area, things like that, and, and um, not far north Queensland. Is New Zealand ready for a second NRL team, you reckon?
1: I don't think so. I think it should go to maybe Perth, um, just more viewers, a different time zone. Um, you know, every other franchise or every other code is in Perth except for rugby league. They've got to start on us. And I think in a different time zone, you get different eyes, more eyes on the game. But I think, say, if we had an NRL team in Wellington, you know, I can't see Wellington out the stadium every home game, you know. Um, I can't see, maybe if there's a team in Christchurch, I can't see them, you know, the game, uh, you know, regularly not as big as, as in Australia. And I think money wise, I think it would be smarter to go to Perth or maybe PNG, because obviously, um, uh, their talent over there is is crazy and it's their number one sport. Financially, I think you know there's some big companies that are interested, uh, but I think my personal preference would be probably Perth or um, PG.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're, you're making a lot of sense there. Back on your, your own career, um, another one on the junior part of it. So, you're obviously junior rep footy. Uh, was there much of that involved for you, your career growing up? Once you made that step up to the league world, um, around that sort of late teenage years. And then also talk to us about that transition into the, the Toyota Cup under-20 scene. Yeah, so... Um,
1: say the question again, sorry, Brian? Sorry. No, you're
0: right. So your junior footy, uh, so once you did uh, establish a league career, uh, was there much rep footy? Um, I think you would have been probably about 18, maybe 17. Um, you mentioned year 11.
1: And then mentioned to us about oh, the... Yes. Yeah, and then so, also just a little bit uh, about the Toto Cup. Pause, uh, we, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so at St. Paul's, we, um, we were playing Union, so a lot of us made the Auckland Rugby Union team as well. And a lot of us were in the development squad at the Warriors, and we had to make a decision. I think this is 2006 whether you're either going to stay with Auckland rugby or you're going to go to the Warriors. And that was a big decision for me personally because I grew up playing rugby and I loved rugby. My dad was like a hardcore rugby union fan, like hardcore. Um, yeah, he actually got upset when I went to league. Um, but I chose league because of the pathway. And I knew that the two a couple was coming and the opportunity to fly to Australia, play against the best talent Uh, against Australian clubs, couldn't raise every NRL game, um, trained with NRL teams on Wednesday. That was an opportunity that was too good to pass up. Um, And that was semi-professional as well, so you got paid. uh, You got looked after at the Warriors. It was a great club. We got so spoiled. I look back now, it was get so spoiled back in 2008. And um, it was a no-brainer because... To play on the biggest stages of the biggest stadiums, and you're only 17 years old, So you get to play at Suncorp. you get to play at um, you know, Amy Park in Melbourne, Ultra Stadium, and and Curtain Rays before the NRL team, bro. So, and Ivan Cleary would always be watching you, obviously, um, because you're playing before his game.
0: So, it was it was stupid to turn down straight up. You obviously in your Turner Cup career started there and um, played with the Warriors. You became a, a leader. You became the, the captain. Um, led the side to the, the grand final win against the Bunnies, which would have been a special moment in your early on in your career. Um, is this na- is this a natural thing for you? This leadership role, or is it something that you were comfortable?
1: Yeah, something I've been comfortable with um, from a young age. I can always remember, you yeah, know, being able to uh, lead a team. From when I was young, um, Though I was so passionate about rugby. I, lo- I love sport. Um, I grew up in a rugby mad household. Um, I had a, I had four older brothers that were they were good rugby league play uh, rugby players as well, and they were always kind of pushing me to be better. Um, and so, I just kind of fit naturally to go into the, a leadership position. Uh, got the opportunity to do it at the at the Warriors with the Under Twenties team and. Yeah, we had a bit of success there as as young kids. Um, man, we had some crazy talent in the in the squad, and like just the raw raw, raw talent of, of of footy. And I know a lot of the in our in our clubs kind of envy the Warriors because the Warriors got such a big pool to choose from, and I think that's why they were so dominant uh, back in those days because. The best first fifteen players wanted to come and play, um, like Conrad Harrell and Solomon Cutter and Curtis Rona, and that uh, because obviously the Warriors would be the opportunity to play in some big stadiums as well, and the games were on TV too. So, yeah, rugby union scouts could watch you on TV. Um, where if you played rugby union in Auckland, you won't you wouldn't get a team game, where you wouldn't get a platform. You just played to local club until you might get selected from Auckland. You know, so. Um yeah, that's how it kind of unfolded,
0: to be fair. Yeah. as a league fan, I love the setup. I thought for the young players as well, it would have been great to be able to go through a season with sort of the NRL teams and, and feel part of it all. And it would have made the, a real club scene environment. And that would have been best for you guys to do, help develop as well. It probably would have been the ideal time to develop as a youngster, really, when you look back on it and how everything was set up. What stands out for that grand final win? I know you personally scored two tries in it, so you, you had a bit of a one of those games, a bit of a wow game. Um, any special moments to stand out for that game?
1: Um, I think just, just playing with Shawnee because um, he played a real good game as well. And he, and he said, I think, all of our tries. Um, and just seeing us young kids... A few St. Paul's players like Nafis Elouini and, and Dan Pallavi. So like we came through St. Paul's together and then we went to the Warriors together and we all came through together as a, as a, as a team and as, as, as friends, which was pretty special as well. Um, I don't know, we all looked down on the Warriors team compared to in our other our teams. For some reason, there's like a little chip on the shoulder when you're coming through, but to be able to have success in the highest competition of the under 20s was was pretty cool, man. It was, we're pretty lucky. I just can't believe how lucky we were in in terms of how the Warriors used to look after us. Um, I thought it was that same treatment at every club you go to, but bro, that's not the case at all. Um, We were were so spoiled as kids. And, um, but yeah, those will be the memories that stick out through the Toyota Cup campaign. Um, And as you said before, bro, just just rubbing shoulders with the first-grade team, airports, hotels, um, captain-run sessions, uh, opposed sessions against them. And so it was a real club uh, feel. And we had the reserve-grade boys as well, the Vulcans. And so whenever we would travel, all three teams would be filled up the airplane and we'd all travel together. We all stay at the same hotel together. Um, You know, as a young kid, bro, and you're learning off, like, Simon, I think Ruben was still playing then Um, steve price was still playing then and you're just taking
0: it all in and and learning off them as much as you can that would have been some troops i would have loved to be a part of imagine a a plane full of footy players getting ready for a trip in the way back after yeah if all three grades had a victory that would have been a fantastic plane trip what about then the um i guess what happened afterwards in terms of you debuting for first grade And there was everyone who watched the Toyota Cup campaign could see, and not to embarrass you, but you were definitely destined to to reach that level. So it was just a matter of basically probably picking the right time for the coaching staff. How was that whole lead up into your first grade debut?
1: Oh, bro, it was a long time coming. Uh, I was supposed to debut in 2009 when I was 19. And also, you know, obviously amped for it. And then I did my hamstring the warm-up of captain's run and so i missed out on a debut by doing a hamstring um so i was devastated to be honest because i hadn't been injured two years prior i played two years straight no injuries and then i get it on my debut so that was frustrating man and then the next preseason, i did my acl in pre-season and so i missed the whole next year of no footy and that was yeah, that was that was discouraging as well because I trained so hard through the preseason, and I never knew the gravity of an ACL. Obviously, because I was young, I was naive. I was just like, "Oh, what's ACL?" And yeah. they're like, "Oh, you're not playing this year." And I was just like, "Bro, it's like it's January, and I'm not playing this year." Um, so that, that was disappointing. But then the next year, I finally got an opportunity uh, to play against the Sharks and Topol. I uh, got a call from Ivan, and yeah, it was kind of a, it was a tough game because we came up against the Sharks. They had Gallinger, Jeremy Smith, um, Anthony tupo brought out of Sam Tagatizi. They had a huge four-pack, Ben Cross. Um, so, yeah, man, that was a big challenge. Uh, at that game, we lost three in a row as well. So, we were under the pump as a club and we managed to get the win that day. It was cool.
0: Yeah. The, the day you came off the bench, what was it like just sitting there and, and waiting for your time to come? That would have probably been the most nerve-wracking part of the whole week.
1: Yeah, man, I, I couldn't. Obviously, you can't sit so, still. Um, you're waiting for them to pick up the interchange card, so you're waiting around like the 20-minute mark. You're like, oh, yeah, I should be going on soon. You do so many sprints up and down the sideline, like... <laughs> so many tackles on the tackle pads on the sideline for your opportunity. And then, uh, yeah, when you finally get your your card to go on the field, man, it's it's a crazy feeling. Um, But the tough game was a really tough game. And obviously, you know, playing against those forwards, those experienced forwards um, was pretty special. And it was a bit of a baptism by fire because – I was playing in the middle as well, so you had to kind of, like, stand up.
0: Yeah. It just, i was just to quickly touch on a point you mentioned before about the injury and the fact that you did get a very serious injury early on. And I think it's a good thing for players and young players coming through to learn about is the sort of mind frame that to have because it's probably easy to fall into that trap where you think your world's fallen down and you've basically lost everything for that um, brief moment in time until you start the rehab process and things like that. What's the best piece of advice you've got for, for players coming through that suffer some of these bigger injuries that are a longer-term layoff?
1: Yeah, so uh, if you've ever done an ACL to anybody that's watching, I highly recommend you get a patella graft and no other graft. Get your own patella so that they make a new ACL from your patella graft. So I've known a lot of players that have done their ACL and their clubs tell them, oh, we've got new science. You know, try the dead person's Achilles tendon and we'll make an ACL out of that. Or try a dead person's um, ACL. We'll put it inside your ACL and see how that goes. But I've seen players' careers ruined with advice like that. Um, you know, Sam, Dan McKendry comes to mind. He did his ACL three times in a row because they were giving him the wrong uh, surgeries. And when he got a patellograph surgery, his ACL's fine. And this is when Sam McKendry was in the, at the height of his career um, playing for Penrith. And he, yeah, he got some ACLs that were new science later and um but they they, they blew out on the first game back. I felt so sorry for them man. Um yeah. so yeah if you ever do an ACL make sure you always get a telegraft uh, for your ACL. Um uh, long injury you gotta have something going on off the field eh like you've got a rugby league can't be everything um Even though a lot of young kids think it's everything. And I thought it was everything as well. Um, yeah, there's definitely going to be some dark days, especially a long layoff like ACL, a long syndesmosis, shoulder, Rico's, um, you definitely got to have something going on off the field just to help stimulate your, your mind, because there's going to be some dark days when you're in rehab by yourself. Um, everyone's flown to Australia and you're back in Auckland. In the gym by yourself bro there's nobody around you've got your rehab sheet and you're just ticking off boxes every single day um it kind of builds character though like at a young age i think i wouldn't say you've got to go through it i remember yeah. thinking man i'm going to be so great when i'm playing again or i'm going to be so much more grateful when i'm injury free and i can just go out there and play with the lads uh, because there's some dark times and rehab and a lot of people that have done their ACLs will completely agree with what I just said. Um, obviously, NRL do so much good work with the welfare officer, um, your physios, you've got your own physios as well, and they give a lot of support now. We're over in Super League bro there's not that, there's not that kind of support from as at an NRL level kind of thing
0: yeah like as you said you never want to have that as you sort of early on to learn anything but i've spoken to a couple of players now who had early injuries and they've said one thing they've all sort of said to me is that it actually made them realize and be quite um grateful for their career as well and sort of what was set up for them because they could see there how quickly it can be taken away from them so it sort of made them in a way quickly go let's make sure I'm, i'm doing this seriously and making sure my recovery process is yeah. spot on, and I'm doing what I can to get back because I don't want to be in this situation again. So it can definitely sort of help with the, as you said, the mindset sort of deep inside of it as well. Yeah, first try. Let's talk about that. I guess uh, round six against the Manly Seagulls. What do you remember from it? So yeah, that was
1: my sixth, that was my third game, my first grade. Uh, I remember Flatty Mateo, bro. Great ball skills, crazy ball skills, Flatty Mateo, man. Done. So he was a second rower at the Warriors at the time. Oh, bro, like, just skill, crazy skills. Yeah. Um, so he was playing half, and I was his half, I was his second rower. And he skipped and did a backflip pass to me on the line. And then yeah, I managed to catch it and then score, but he'd done most of the work. But we lost that game. That was my first loss in the NRL. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment because Dad was watching the game online as well. It was one, I think it was his first Game you got to watch, um, but yeah, playing at Brookvale Oval in, in, the, in the top game, and that's when the ground was still dodgy as like oh. heaps muddy, horrible heaps... oh, place to go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah But it right, all learning experience. I uh, thank Filetti obviously for setting me up with a try. Um, we, we built an all good combination, me and him, when he was playing half. So, such a skillful player, man,
0: crazy skill, yeah. He he was um, was a freak. It's a nice segue there into the fact that your first year also coincided with uh, playing in the grand final. Unfortunately, it was a loss to a Manly side that was pretty ripped with talent that year. Um, Talk us through that grand final week, firstly, and and what's it like? Because I've heard things like you don't really train much in it at all because by then, everyone knows their roles. It's more about getting the body right, things like that. And there's obviously a lot of press involved and media work. And coming from New Zealand into over to Australia to get ready for it, what's the week like?
1: Yes, I remember we handled the well.
0: Uh, the week really
1: well. Well, everything was running perfectly. We stayed at Coochie for the week. That was our home base. Whenever we went to Sydney, we went to Coogee Crown Plaza on the corner. Uh, so exciting, man! Like we thought because I was young, it was my first year, I thought we were always going to make the grand final. I thought we are always going to make semis because um, you're naive when you're young because you kind of come a bit easy and you always thought it was going to be like this and that wasn't that wasn't to be, but it was so enjoyable, man. I, I remember thinking, because um, you got to do with your under-20s mates as well because you came through the system together and now you're playing in an NRL grand final together. It was pretty surreal and, and I think we've got a lot of support and a lot of people have got a soft spot for the Warriors. You know, they, yeah. they want the Warriors to win, especially against Manly. So we've got a lot of support that 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 game, but, but there was a Manly side that's been in form for what, five years straight. Um, I remember the week being massive buildup. Um, I remember reading emails from uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, I read an email from Richie McCall that, that he sent to our team. Just everybody just sending good luck wishes, good luck messages. Bro, that was pretty cool, man. And <coughs> again, I was so naive. I thought it was, every year was going to be like this because it was so easy. But um, bro, no way. Like, making the top eight was an achievement in itself. But,
0: yeah. um, I was going to say yeah, that. I was going to say earlier, when you you made to early grand finals you'll probably think and how good how good's rugby league <laughs> this is fantastic oh man
1: and and the way we did it too it was just one after the other and we all came through uh it was yeah naive that's the word i like to use because i thought it was just always going to be this easy and i thought yeah. how good was this like it's, this is um but you realize as you get on in your career like how lucky we were to play in a. F- grand final in your first yeah um that's crazy that's crazy luck but yeah good 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 experience good memories um fond memories and memories i'll never forget
0: now i want to talk about obviously i know the warriors meant a lot to you and obviously it's probably still has a nice uh, special place in your heart but there was a time there where you you did end up deciding to leave and sign so with the penrith panthers and I was going to quickly give you a quote after a bit of research don't want to embarrass you too much, but this is from Phil Gould. He goes, um, you've been specifically targeted by the club not only for his elite footballing talent, but also based on his tremendous character and leadership qualities. Now, that's from one of the goats of rugby league, Phil Gould. Firstly, I want to ask what's it like sitting down with Phil Gould and sorting out a contract, um, which I guess would be probably one of the most daunting experiences of your early footballing career yeah
1: i remember i was ivan was doing most of the contract talking so i remember my first meeting with gas is when just before i signed so i already had the contract um but before i signed i had a, had a chat with phil uh, um, yeah obviously when he says words like that you, you're pretty yeah you're pretty taken back a bit because he's he's so much knowledge of the game um but man like, like just the weeks he's like kind of inspires like the way he talks. Like yeah. I remember he used to come and talk to us Penrith, our Penrith team in a captain's run session or a halfway video, just come and speak to the team. And just the way he delivers a message, bro, it's something special. Like there's something the aura he has when he speaks. Um, he commands the room. It's yeah. um it's pretty crazy, man. And and to meet him, finally meet him. And I've already known him for those origin pre-game talks, you know, His the last, the last word of Phil Gill. And that's what I've known him the most from. And to meet him finally was, was pretty surreal. He was he's this great bloke, um, got a master footy mind, like knows the game inside out and like, he's a reason why Penrith are going the way they are going today because of all the foundations he put in. Um, to ensure that the Panthers would be successful in in years and and look what has happened.
0: Growing up, obviously the Warriors was always the the team you wanted to play for and get your start and that happened. Just how tough was it for you personally on ending up actually agreeing with Penrith and and moving not just club, but you actually have to move country as well, which probably would have been the toughest part of of it all? Yeah, I was young, bro.
1: I was really young and naive and I, I thought... Like I was a bit, bit arrogant away, because um, the Warriors signed Tom Larry from the Storm, and they said he was going to be the starting thirteen kind of thing, and I was be coming off the bench, and as a young kid, you don't really want to hear that. Um, you're young and ambitious, and you, you're thinking, "Oh man, I want to be starting every week," um, and that was um, that was a reason why I went to to Penrith. To, Ivan, the relationship I built with Ivan over the, my time at the Warriors. That was another reason why I, I liked to go to Penrith. And obviously, Penrith was my first proper contract. I, I was on an uh, under-20s contract playing first grade at the Warriors. Um,
0: oh, wow. And,
1: and so I was young, bro. I was an ambitious. And, yeah, and I was listening to a manager that I probably didn't have my best interests at his... Um, at his heart, what should I say? But yeah, bro, I was just influenced by him. And I was really keen to get out of Auckland as well um, and try something new. But in hindsight, man, I reckon I should, should have just stayed because I love the club. I love the lads. Uh, we grew up together. We came through together. But I made the decision, bro. Or, you know, I was so good. I made the decision or that the decision at the right time was the best for me. Obviously, meeting Gus and his plan for the future at Penrith. That was a good opportunity that I saw myself uh, being able to be used in Penrith. Uh, um, So that's why I jumped at the opportunity, because it was a great opportunity. Uh, I'll be playing second row, I'll be starting. And as a young kid, you know, that's all
0: you want to kind of hear, kind of thing. I want to talk about... You set a record when you're at the Penrith Panthers, and I'm not sure if you actually uh, realised you did this or not, but you set a record for most tackles in the game it was 77 tackles round five against the Cowboys. So, obviously, a lot of defence uh, for the team that, that day. Talk us through that that game. That's incredible. 77 tackles. It's almost a tackle a minute.
1: Oh, bro. We had so many dibutons that night playing. And we kept knocking the ball on tackle one or two early in the tackle count. This is before six against as well. Or like this is before the six again rule, obviously. But I just remember um, we're always knocking the ball on from a scrum or knocking the ball on on a, a high ball, and we just had to defend again. Um, we lost the game, and the Cowboys on to be premiers, um, but yeah I just remember like us making so many mistakes coming out of yardage and me and, me and Sam McKendry were the Fords. <laughs> you don't realize it until after the game and then someone gives you a screenshot or something but at the time yeah at the time I, I didn't even notice it because we were we are just defending so much that game and, and nothing was going our way. Um, so yeah, those are the memories from that game.
0: It's fast forward slightly into where you actually ended up moving and that was the Penrith Panthers to the West Tigers. And I know that was a sort of a, a, a weird sort of little period in your career. I read some quotes and things like that about that time and... I think it was a change of coach, a change of senior at Penrith was starting to happen, and they weren't on the same path as what originally was the plan moving forward. And they was sort of, I know there was James Fisher-Harris was coming through as well, so quite a, a talented player coming through the ranks. But you were told to sort of basically change the way. If I've got this right and read this right, you're told to change the way you play, and or and you've been dropped basically. So how was that sort of towards the end of the, the stint at Penrith?
1: Yeah, that was a big shock to the system man. man. like, so Ivan got fired. Randomly. So he gets daily in coach of the year, 2014, 2015, we get estimated with injuries where the, like, the most in- injuries out of any, club. and after that year, he gets fired, gets sacked and I was just like, that's weird. And then as soon as he gets sacked, um, Anthony, Anthony Griffin comes in. But Gus wanted to clean out all the, all the, all the people that I brought. And then I was the first on the list, obviously. And it, it kind of like woke you up to the, the game, um, that was last year at Penrith. Like, uh, I did my ACL 2014, Through so that was kind of a, probably the first note that Oh, he's done his ACL again, so maybe he's you know he's not going to be as good as we thought. Um, yeah, and it just happened so quick too. That's how ruthless our, uh, NRL can be, bro. Like you could be the the best, one of the best players. Um,
0: yeah,
1: but insane, bro. They had insane talent coming through, as you said, bro. James Fisher Harris, Corey Holloway, uh M- Moses, Leota, uh, Campbell Gillard, Yoey, uh, bro, Bryce Cartwright crazy talent just waiting to play and these guys were all like 18 there as well uh dylan edwards was there right, as they were just waiting for a uh, jeremy they're all waiting for an opportunity and from the club's perspective i, I can understand now they want to do you know bring those players through the system uh but at the, at the at the time i was just like wow this is weird like they welcomed me and then now they like, so they want me to go bro like they actually want me to go and be like as you can um so kind of open your eyes up towards rugby league, uh, the, the managers and how coaches work uh, yeah it was a bit of an opener because obviously i was young naive person i've been just you know all good and then when you get older bro you start feeling pressure more and then you start seeing things behind the scenes what goes on at clubs and you're just like really <laughs> and then um yeah. yeah, bro, you get a lot more understanding from how the game really operates. It can be pretty dark, bro. Like, like there's a lot of skull thuggeries that go on behind the scenes, man. Um, a lot of people just see you NRLs, know, like, oh, bro, like, they'll be an awesome job. They'll be mad, bro. Like, how players get treated, kind of thing. It's crazy, man.
0: I, I don't know how, it, like, when I mean, you put the human side into that, it's just crazy. I know people talk about the business side of things for the game, but. It's also the game side of it as well. And you all just want to be there and play play footy, basically, is the uh, way you all sort of want to think about it. And when, when the Tigers came knocking, talk us through that process. Well, how does that actually happen? Is it just go they go straight to your manager or do they actually come talk to you first and, and sort of put out the feelers and say, would you be interested in coming to the club?
1: Yeah, man. So um, kind of a blessing in disguise. Jason Taylor rings me. He was the Tigers coach at the time. Um, a few Tigers boys ring me, and they kind of said, like, I'm, I'm what's missing from the team in some respect. Like, if I can bring um, what I can to the, the table it'll help their team. And so that was an opportunity I thought, yeah, man, I'm sick of playing reserve grade here at Penrith. Uh, I'll jump at this opportunity. So Justin Pascoe used to be the CEO at Penrith when I was the CEO. So I still had a relationship with him, and he helped get the deal over the line. Um yeah, that was like a breath of fresh air, bro. So I was playing reserve grade. I started in reserve grade 2016. And I was thinking, bro, how am I playing reserve grade round one? Like, they said I was out of form, bro. But I was like, bro, it's round one. Who's out of form on round one? Like, um, and that's what Anthony Griffin used to say. Um, and, the yeah, the old coaches' cliches, heaps of them. But when the Tigers came, like, they, they offered me opportunity to play in the middle and then ball play as well. And that was something that, bro, I really wanted to do because I was sick of just making tackles all the time. Yeah. And credit to Jason Taylor, man. He backed me. He gave me a start. He gave me an opportunity. Bro, and I'm so grateful for JT, man. Um, yeah, he's one of the best coaches I've had, you know, in my opinion. that That's that's coming from me. But, bro, he gave me so much freedom. um, gave me so much confidence. Like, uh, and I got there with um, they had young halves at the time they had uh, Brooksy, Mitchell Moses and Teddy was at, at fullback as well wow. and those guys bro, they were so confident I remember meeting Mitchell Moses bro he was so confident bro, he's the most confident person I've ever met uh, <laughs> it's crazy like he, you, know, you really believe that he can do anything that's how confident he was and it kind of rubbed off on me as well I'm um, there, there, like there, yeah, any because yeah, it was it was the opportunity I needed, Brian. It was a good step for myself and my development as a well. and I've got some good memories at the Tigers, some really good memories. Um, yeah, just unfortunate that we weren't able to do do something because we, we trained so hard at club. We brushed um, down the Mark McGuire. Like surely we. We came so close to making the top eight one year. Uh, But it wasn't to be.
0: You mentioned Jason Taylor. I want to talk about another coach that, looking back on your career so far and how it's been, there has been another coach that seems to have played quite a big part in your career and has almost been at every club you've been at at the same time. That's Ivan Cleary. What sort of a coach is Ivan Cleary and just sort of the role he's played in your career so far? Bro, he's the most chilled coach I've ever had. Like, just so chilled.
1: And i don't know it might be my character bro but that's what i need as as a as a coach like personally i don't i don't want a a military coach bro i don't want you freaking uh, bro that that don't work for me that's what i've noticed um j t was similar to ivan like they're they're from the same era they were chilled about a lot of things um but you know you you'd cop it if you if you're playing bad but uh, yeah, one thing about Ivanborough is, is he accepts you for who you are. Like he'll never tell you, "I need you to be like this player," or he'll never tell you, "I, I need you to get the stats what what Sam Burgess is getting." I need you to get those meters. He'll never do that. He, he'll accept you for what you bring to the table and add you to his team. But like that's what I liked about Ivanborough He like he accepted you for who you are. Where other coaches, they'll be like, "Oh, mate, look, you need to be like this player." or oh, mate, look, you need to be like this player. Or you need to get his stats. You need to be up there with, with his stuff. And like Ivan would never do that. I don't know I don't know if he's changed that now, but uh, that's what I liked about Ivan, bro. He accepted you for you. Uh, I got a lot of time for him, man. He um obviously he changed my life kind of thing. Giving me a debut opportunity and oh, bro, I always respect him. And it's just so good to see Penrith go so well uh, yeah. under him. Because he's always there, but I think, you know, with the squad he's got now and with Nathan leading the ship, bro, credit to him, bro, because he's been through a lot. Um, and to come back through the other side at Penrith uh, is a testament to his character, bro, because um, when he got fired from Penrith the first time, like, I was just like, bro, what? That was nuts. So did this happen? Like, how did we get here? there's there's daily coach 2014 he gets sacked the next year
0: it's just like what the heck um that's politics yeah, bro, politics and rugby league crazy that's crazy nuts. bro you, in in the tiger's career 2020 they released a a co captains which existed of five players now i know this probably happens in the past but i think it was the first time the media really got hold of it and it was, it it was blown up to be a massive deal. Why do the club have five captains, blah, blah, blah. It's Looking back on it, it really is just the leadership group. Um, so how was that experience to be part of that sort of, uh, to be part of the Tigers? You've been there for a couple of years now. And then to be part of like a co-captaincy group, where, where, was it confusing at times to know where you stood with it or was all the captains sort of on the same wavelength?
1: I was never a big talker, bro. I've never, I've never been a big talker or have the mean speech to get the boys up for a game. I would only do like influence and actions. I would lead by my influence and lead by my actions. But yeah, players like Russell and Ben, uh, Russell and, and Bags and and Rowdy, Chrissy Lyons, But they'll do all the talking. Like sweet, like I wasn't that kind of captain. I've never been that kind of talk, kind of captain. I've just been go about by influence and actions and because obviously, you know, Benji's so experienced, Chris Lawrence is so experienced. And um, yeah, they pretty much, they pretty much did most. Um, and Russell, yeah, Russell's a really good communicator as well. They pretty much did most of the work. I was just made sure I could lead by my influence and by uh, my actions. and. It was a good experience because we came so close that year. I think we, in previous years, we would have made the top eight, but the competition was so tight, we, we came nine. Um, but, yeah, there was a chance gone begging because I thought we had a really good team. Um, we, defensively, we were sound, and we kind of just fell off at of the, of the last hurdle there. Yeah, it's... Oh, and Ronnie Farrow about- came
0: back. Oh. oh, yeah, okay. oh, Yeah, Sorry, yeah no, the boy no. being back, Benji, Benji and Robbie were back as well. So there was a couple of years there. The Tigers were, as you said, they were so close to the eighth. They actually had some really good teams there. And it wasn't just the attacking football as well. And um, it was just an all-around good mix. It was just unfortunate that there was that dreaded ninth spot there for, for a couple of years. But I want to talk about your international career. I don't hold you up too much longer. Um Talk us through initially what it's like touring, and then because I know you had a couple of tours in that New Zealand squad, and then what it's like playing at the World Cup. No doubt you've probably got a few stories about the, the touring squads and, and what gets well, what happens up there. Oh, yeah, man. Like,
1: again, my first year as well, probably made the Kiwis team as well, and then naive again. I was like, oh, bro, this, I'm always going to make it like this now. Like, I was 22 because I, I kind of took it for granted, actually, I did, talk, I did take tours for granted, man. Um, just hanging out in, in the Kiwi environment, I took that for granted because I thought it was always gonna happen, kind of a bit arrogant and cocky from myself, thinking that that was my mindset, like I'm always gonna make it. But yeah, a few injuries later, and you'll fall down the picking order, and it's so hard to make the team again. Um they took my first tour for granted. It was a great tour. We came to London. We played at Wembley. I made my debut at Wembley. Um played the Australians, played against the English here. Great experience. Um Yeah, met Benji Marshall properly for the first time in my life. That was crazy. Just meeting all, all your childhood heroes, you watch them at the Last World Cup and just to be able to like chop it up and break some bread and just have a laugh with them. That was crazy. I remember I was fanboy moments. Honestly, I was just like, bro, this is so cool. Um, and again, that, that just made me naive because I only had two more tours after that. So I made three tours with the Kiwis and that's all I did. And that's pretty disappointing, man, because, um, yeah, the tour, the tour is trying to make the team because the team got so, uh, what do you say? They got so much depth now in the Kiwi squad, bro. It's so hard to make the yeah. team. But back in the days, there wasn't as much depth as there is now. Um, so it's good for New Zealand Rugby League and it's good for the competition and, and the team to try and make the, the squad. But it's something that I took for
0: granted, definitely. You talk about that and the, the game's definitely growing on an international side of things, but I feel like the game as a whole still is holding itself back when it comes to the international game, which is a bit of a shame. Do you have any advice out there for um, your your way of thinking about growing this game? Because we have got the island nations like Samoa, Tonga, Fiji. They're getting so strong. If anything, it might be the English sort of... It's fallen down a little bit because of these island nations are getting so much stronger. What's your way of thinking around getting this game to really be the peak of its power and, and the main main piece of this, uh, the game we love?
1: Yeah, man. So in the previous World Cup, I really wanted to win because the game over here is, is struggling so bad, especially with COVID. So everybody thinks back in Australia that, I oh, yeah, Super Leagues, they're running their there's competition, like there's a strong competition. There's heaps of juniors coming through, but it's not the case over here. Like there's no Harold Mats, there's no SG Ball, there's no Reserve Grade Comp, there's no Under 20s Comp, there's no elite competition for rugby league to develop over here, and that's why I wanted England to win the World Cup because it went uh the game. Of- because obviously they're fighting against rugby union here, and they're fighting against obviously soccer, which they're never going to win against soccer. But if you're comparing rugby league to rugby union here, bro, rugby league is so small, yeah. um, and I can't see, I can't see it. I can't see them getting any bigger than what it is now because there's no development systems to bring kids through. And if you're a really good under 16 kid here, rugby union is going to come and snap you up quick and just give you a contract, which super league cannot pay like the average wage of super league player, I think is 27,000, I think pound, I think that's the average. At Salford, I had one of my teammates, bro, he was getting he was getting 10,000 pounds for the year. And he was training full time. And I was just like, what, bro, no way. Uh, and I was oblivious to this. But a lot of the young kids over here, like a lot of them are just training professionally and just doing it for, like, nothing. And it's just so, it, it kind of does my hidden, bro, because... And I realized back in the NRL, was so lucky because there's so much. There's reserve grades, there's under 20s. Uh, you got the RLPA that's always got your best interest. Like, there's no RLPA here. So, yeah. I- I'll tell you this last year, Super League, we played yeah. seven games in two weeks. Bro, seven games in two weeks. That is this crazy. Is to over there. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. Bro, it's was- the clubs needed the money, they need, they need the gates, yeah. they need the so that's why there's so much, much more games squished into one and just like I could go on forever on, on how how the levels of NRL compared to Super League have have happened because the gap is, is getting the competition gap is, is getting is massive um, and then that's for the future of England rugby league, that's that's concerning because your next uh, superstars, if they are superstars, they'll go to an NRL club. They won't see it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's kind of um, yeah, bro. Like this is my opinion, but this is like rugby league's in a bad spot here in in England because it's fighting against rugby union and in soccer, and it's just not. It's just not going to survive like with the t- talent pool that's currently in the NRL with Samoa, Tonga, Australia, even Fiji, bro. Fiji nearly bit, <laughs> nearly bit freaking the Kiwis in the in the, in the quarters. Yeah. Um, so if I had to try and change it, I think over here Super League we've got to get rid of the quota spots. We've got to try and entice NRL players to come and come and play because. Most NRL players coming now at the end of their careers, where earlier NRL players would come sometimes in their prime and come over here and play, yeah. but uh, as an NRL player, why would you come over here? The pay is not as good, you get no RRPA, uh, you get no saving a retirement account into your of 13,000 a year, like there's not much to attract you to come here to play league anymore. The NRL salary caps gone so much higher compared to Super League. Uh, Super League's TV deal, bro, got slashed by three quarters. Their Sky TV deal got slashed by three quarters, bro. Like, yeah, that's concerning. That That's crazy. But obviously, you don't hear about this stuff in the news. But yeah, there's got to be some big changes here at the Super League. So IGM, IMG is coming in to take over the whole competition next year so it's going to be interesting what they bring to the table because uh, honestly bro in ten years time i can't see this game being professional like that's how that's how that's kind of the way i'm thinking bro cuz there's no there's no pathways for younger kids yeah. it's just it's and, kind of it's kind of sad to see man
0: and, and in a way i feel like the more the nrl grows as well and and brings on new teams it actually has a a sliding effect onto the super league because a lot of those fringe players that would would go over to super league for a a chance to play first grade footy, you have to do that now with these growing teams like the dolphins and then if the next 18th team comes out there's more and more pathways now to stay in rugby league and stay in these pathways in australia than to go over to england and actually play and as you said, those players who would often go there for a year or two in the middle of their careers to sort of get better with some of their uh, talent and expand their game a bit more. But they can do that now, basically, just staying in Australia. It's, it's sort of definitely concerning to hear that the game is where it is. You ended up leaving to go there um, in 2020. You got your release from the Tigers and you signed with Salford. What was that little period like? Was that a personal opinion for yourself to experience the England culture, the England game?
1: Yeah, bro. So I was supposed to retire at the end of twenty twenty. In my mind, I was like, bro, I'm done. Like, I'm actually done because I just had two years of Michael McGuire and like the way he trains, bro. He's got a reputation of hard trainings and that. And mentally, I was cooked. I was like, bro, I'm I'm sick of this. I'm ready to die. I punched out my um, pilot's license so I could go and fly straight after that season. I
0: see. But then COVID
1: came, bro. And then COVID happened. And then COVID, all the airlines started stopped hiring. Um, COVID came in, all the restrictions happened. And then I was like, oh, well, I can't get a flying job. And so and then Solford popped up. I think we we're early January. So the season was about, so it had already started for most NRL. Jobs and um, I tried to go to the Warriors and they're like no we're, we're not keen um, I tried to go to Melbourne as well I think on a train and trial and they were like I thought I thought I could go to Melbourne because you know they always give an old chance again um, but that yeah that they said no as well and I was like oh that's strange and then Salford came up and to go to UK yeah it was an opportunity. I looked at it as some lawyer fees that I needed to pay off as well. So I'd just been through court with my lawyer and I needed to pay off my lawyer fees. And that's another reason why I came to Salford. But I'm glad I came. Like, I'm so glad I came because just the opportunity to play in this competition, uh, the opportunity to see the world on this side. And yes, there was, I was really grateful at the time. I was so grateful to, for that opportunity and play with some, some pretty fast players over here was a great experience, bro. It's been a great experience. And so where I'm at now Featherston, we're trying to get up to Super League. So this is my first year at Featherston and they've recruited me to try to help the team get up to Super League. And we're going well this season. We're halfway through. We're eight points clear at the top. That's an understatement. Um, Sean Long's our coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean Long's our coach. Leon Price is our assistant coach. They're great. They're legends of the game over here for Rugby League, and that's what I like about former players that are coaches because they understand what a player goes through. Yeah, understand like they understand what the pressures of your body, the pressures of footy, the pressures of everything, and just to play under them, man, they're so chilled as well, and they've. Another thing about Super League, bro, they think about rugby league totally different than Australians. So this is another thing that opened my eyes that we're NRL bro, it's knock out your sets, kick to the corner, build pressure, build your sets, complete sets, kick corner, defend, kick corner, defend, where over here in Super League, bro, it's attack, like, let's shift tackle one from our corner, let's shift tackle three. From side to side, and then play back all the way back to the other side. Like there's so much more freedom in the game over here, um, and it's something that I struggled with because I'm used to like it's drilled into your head, like complete, complete. Like don't, don't earn the right to play. You've got to earn the right to pass the ball. You've got to break down the front door first. That's the NRL mentality, um, but that's not the mentality here. So it was kind of cool. It was a breath of fresh air, bro. The way I thought about league was, was, was kind of, was a lot different than what the, they think about league here. After coming from under Michael Maguire, it's like, this set, this set, get to that post, play this play, kick. Like, it's, everything's, you must do this, all right? But in Super League, bro, it's just like, run across the field... Short ball, tip on, could play the ball, play off the back of that, go across the field, offload. Like it's just, it was so refreshing, bro. It's so refreshing to uh, play like this because it's
0: so much more free. You probably feel like, as you as you mentioned, twenty twenty, you were, you basically were you, you were done. You, you wanted to keep the game up, and now you probably feel like you know I could probably go another year or two just because it's that. Uh, release of, of everything in a different coaching style, a different way you play. It just sort of freshens everything up for you.
1: bro. Right. Honestly, and there's no pressure here. There's no media scrutiny. And that makes such a difference mentally. Um, so like you could play a bad game and not really worry about it because it's not going to be on TV highlights or it's not going to be <coughs> covered as it is in the NRL, bro. Like you're not going to be on NRL 360. Like yeah getting talked about. That, that's I think that's why a lot of players come over here, especially the halves. Uh, like Brodie Croft, uh Randy Chase, who else came here? Uh what's this the half for Newcastle? Um oh, no. because they're sulfur. You got man of steel. They all get man Hastings. Yeah, uh, uh, Jace, I know mean, it's all about completely Hastings, yeah. So they come over here, bro. There's no pressure. There's no, you know, our halves are always under pressure at the club. Yeah. bro. when they come over here, bro, they play the football of their life, bro, because there's no pressure. Like Brody Croft last year, bro, wow. He got Man of Steel last year. Bro, untouchable. Actually, untouchable. Um, yeah. You know, when Randy Chase came here, crazy, untouchable. Uh, Jackson Hastings came here killed it. Tui Lola here, bro, come over here, killed it. Um I think because there's no pressure on their shoulders as a half in the NRL, they can just be free and play. Um that's a bit of evidence that shows you that the pressure of the NRL has an effect on on a, on a player's performance. Because when they come over here man and there's no pressure and they can they can play free. Um which is always a breath of fresh, because all of have in Australia is kick corners, defend, kick corners, defend. Wait for them to make a mistake. When they make a mistake, then you attack kind of thing. And um, that's the way they think about, obviously, an NRL, but it's totally different here.
0: Yeah, look, I want to get on to a couple of rapid fire questions and let you go. Um, the most enjoyable player you've played with in your career that's still going? Enjoying the
1: enjoyable play player I've played with is still going in my career.
0: Um, bro, he just
1: retired last year, bro. Tommy Ludewo. It's got to be Tommy Lulaway. Um Because, yeah. bro, he was, he was always laughing. He's like the joker of the team. But but he's he can, he can whack in defence, man. Like, he, he can actually put a shot on. For someone that, they shot to buckle props and buckle... Like, i got so much respect for Tommy. Um, I had him at the Warriors. I had him at my first Kiwis tour. He was my roomie, uh, first Kiwis tour. So, it'll be Tommy Dwight, for sure.
0: What about the most talented player you've played with? And i tell you what, you've got a hard bunch of players to pick from because you've played with some talent. <laughs>
1: uh, is that talented on the football field or talented everywhere?
0: Like, you can take this wherever you want, bro. You can You can have two, three if you want.
1: Bro, it'd have to be the most talented would probably be um probably be Benji bro. Yeah. Like he could play golf, he can play the guitar, he can sing, Bro, he's one of those moldies that can do everything.
0: Just we just bro, got bro, at everything bro, you he play
1: golf, Bro, bro he's good he's good at everything. It's unfair. He's good at everything, bro. Um so what you're saying is Tiger's fans should be tennis. happy
0: because when he's, when he's the head coach they'll win the con because he's just good at everything. He'll coach into a premiership for sure.
1: <laughs> oh, bro, I hope so. I hope so because, bro, he loves the game and he's he's smart. He's really smart. So I hope they go well. I hope they go this year. It's good to see them get a couple wins. But, bro, he's like, well, he's one of those, So back home, there's Maoris that, that that are good at everything. And he's one of those Maoris that are good at everything, like can dance, can sing, can do bombs, right? <laughs> yeah, he'll be the most talented by far.
0: In a way, you kind of hate those people. I got a few of those mates. They're just good at everything they do. You just like seriously, give me some of your talent, bro, please. Uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> most annoying player uh, you've played with. You can take this wherever you want.
1: I have to come back to the one. I have to think of that one. No, yeah, that's right. I'll, yeah. I'll
0: give you an example. I had Ryan Morgan on last week. He said philly because he kept playing pranks, stealing people's thongs and things like that. And just said he was a serial pest. So there's one to, to give to you and that's an example. So it could be a dressing room, it could be just someone who you hated going on away trips with, that you kept rumor with.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. Uh it went with James Cigarro, I reckon. He wasn't annoying, but he was funny. He was he's like he's like Gets under the skin of everyone and he's like got a cackle laugh as well. Yeah. James Seghiaro will take that for sure. Uh um, he, he a lot for the party he's always smiling, always happy, uh always putting people on the gronk. <laughs> um, he's witty with his comebacks, he's quick with his comebacks. It'll be James Sighiaru.
0: He may get the last award as well, and that's the funniest player you've played with.
1: Funniest player I've played with? Bro, BJ LeLua, by far, <laughs> takes the bro, bro, BJ, he's one of those players that will say what he's thinking. Like, no filter. So, bro, him and man, in the video session, they used to argue in front of all the boys. <laughs> and all the boys used to just sit there and just... Like, imagine we'd be getting furious and BJ was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, he would speak his mind, bro. Like, I got... Like, he's one of those people that, like, yeah, no filter, but he's, he's saying what everyone's thinking, but we're too afraid to say it. But he's actually saying it and he doesn't care. <laughs> and it was so funny. Like, it was so funny, bro. Bro, him and Madge used to always argue... And we used to just, I used to just crack up and watch because it was so funny, bro. I found it so funny. Um, I know, I know some other players didn't find it funny, but, bro, I was, I couldn't stop. I was laughing so much I started crying, like, because <laughs> some used to always argue, and, and Madge signed them, and I was just like in my mind, I was like, bro, you signed them and now you <laughs> argue with them in front of everyone. Um, <laughs> That's oh, yeah. oh. so fair. Oh, bro, yeah. Oh, bro, <laughs> and like usually magic, like you know, and like, to the to the point to the point. <laughs> I don't care what you think. I'm gonna say what I I'm gonna say what I think. Oh, bro, it was so funny, bro. It was so funny.
0: Lastly, it was on touch current life. Uh, I know you're currently at the Featherston Rovers and. You mentioned them earlier, but they are absolutely flying this year, and I know you've probably got a lot to do with that. Um, Undefeated, top of the comp. Some of the records that you guys have at the moment, you've got 568 points for, 124 against. Your points differential is plus 444. That is ridiculous. And 13 from 13, so obviously enjoying life at the moment. Yeah, man.
1: It kind of, kind of speaks volumes to the competition we're in, though. Like, that's a man. And, like, Sean Long, Leon Price, they've, they've changed the club culture. We've got a great culture out there. And Featherston, like, we're all grafters. We all work hard. And yeah, the hard work is showing, like, on, on where we are on the table. But like, when we come back to England, the, league, the depth, Um, you know, some teams we play for it to be the second level down from Super League is, bro, it's like the standard is kind of poor sometimes, man. Uh, Like some teams we play, um, sometimes it's just not nowhere near the standard of where the reserve grade needs to be. That's why... I think there needs to be a reserve grade competition over here. There's no reserve grade competition. The championships, the next level down, and the level of competition isn't that great. So, yeah, we are going good as a team. Like, wow, we've got some good structures. Our defensive mentality is great. Uh, we're going well, but in terms, of should be um, because again, that's the depth that the name is strong over. And it hasn't come back from covid and that's kind of concerning at the same time bro like because I'm passionate about rugby league I like I like the game I wanted to see it grow and thrive and where it should be but yeah the level of competition in terms of where the competition should be and where like NRL reserve grade game like those are tough or uh NRL under twenties game they those used to be tough. But yeah, the competition is, is slightly yeah, below the standard of where it needs to be. Um, yeah. So hopefully things change, but we're enjoying it, man. We're, we're winning, we're training hard. Um, we've got good coaches. And so we have gotta keep the momentum going towards the end of the year.
0: Uh, no doubt we'll be seeing them at the Super League next year. I don't wanna jinx it, but the, fan, the footy's fantastic. The style and brand of footy you guys are playing is unreal. I'm going to let you go because I know it's very late over there. You need to get us some sleep, We've Got some training tomorrow, no doubt. I really appreciate you jumping on. Look, put a word into BJ Laura. I can after the stories you've got of him, I need to get him on. I reckon he'll be a cracking yarn as well. And right, down get the him track, on. Think... Get <laughs> him on, bro. Get him on. Down the track, I'm going to get you on again you as well. Because I reckon you've got some more cracking, cracking stories to tell as well that uh, we haven't been able to get to. But, Elijah... Thank you very much. Good luck for the rest of the season with Featherston. And as I said, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. All right, man. Cheers. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap-up of the Elijah Taylor interview. Want to thank you once again for all your support and listening to the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Apologies once again about the audio at times. It was a little bit hard with the connection from Australia to England, but definitely appreciate Elijah's time. Just want to send a quick shout out to the sponsor, Tate Sports Cards. You can find him on Instagram. Give him a message for all your sport card related inquiries. If you want to support the channel, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and now we're also on TikTok. Thank you for the support.